1: Welcome to Liquid Lunch. It's me, Hugh, and Jen is my co-host today, the undead redhead, fake undead redhead. (laughs) Not really an undead redhead. Not at all. Not at all. She wrote a book (laughs) about some vampires, something like that. (laughs) Anyway, read that when you get a chance. Zombies, but yeah. Okay, listen, we got a great show. (laughs) Let's get started. We got Ben Pfefferman joining us here. We're talking about the tech scene in Toronto. Um, Ben, and it's, uh, well, what you were saying a little bit earlier was that it's a really awesome uh, tech environment uh, all the way from Toronto to Waterloo and even Ottawa, I guess we could, uh, almost all of southern Ontario really, right? Um, And it's, um, you're saying that it it really takes the right uh, collection of circumstances uh, to create this kind of environment. Can you just uh, you know, why are we, you know, because you hear hear about the the disasters like Northern Telecom and Corral and we had some <laughs> good tech companies once upon a yeah. time. Was
2: BlackBerry, a blessed memory. Yeah. Right.
1: Was Curl <laughs> Canadian? What? Oh, yeah, Curl girl was Canadian. I oh, know it makes that. me sadder.
0: I, I was. I, I'm. S- I'm still at heart a word perfect person, <laughs> yeah. but only because I hate words so much. I should probably not bring that up because I'm sure that Microsoft is topping so, the show. But
1: Ben, we we want to be reassured. We because uh, you know if you look at it one way, you might think our tech sector is being. Uh, gutted but uh, right. you're saying otherwise.
2: So nothing is for sure but I don't believe there will be a tech bubble um, and I think one of the reasons is that uh, we have all the ingredients here in Canada to make it work. Um, there's a great cohort coming out of universities of strong entrepreneurs and CEOs uh, with bold visions that are identifying real problems in our society and, um, and developing solutions to fix them. And I think what's great right now is they're being supported whether it's at the university level, uh, government and private sector levels, uh, the investment is coming in to support these entrepreneurs to, to help develop their technologies.
1: Now, one of the things I heard is that uh, there were fewer, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but that there were fewer people going into the, into the computing uh, areas. Like, uh, you know, Waterloo, of course, has a great computer program, um, but uh, that there were few, just less people going into
2: that. Yeah, so there's definitely a real shortage um, for, for top talent. Um, great developers are very hard to find. Um, they c- they're getting great salaries, the ones that are employed, you know, definitely north of six figures. And um, for young people in high school right now, you know, when you, when you think about the great jobs previously, accountants, lawyers, doctors, I mean, uh, d- developer has to be on the list because... You know, you will find a job, like, the second you graduate, the second you're on the market, you're going to mm. be scooped up.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe even in the States, right? Because they, they come up here and, you know, I, th- I heard one year uh, Bill Gates hired the entire graduating class of Waterloo.
2: Colorado. 100%. Yeah, no, we, yeah. we've got really? a great reputation. Um, so American companies definitely are, are recruiting in Canada. Uh, in Toronto, Waterloo, Vancouver, yeah. Okay. So something
0: I've always kind of wondered is is that the way we're the way we're going now, nobody wants to be an employee. I, I don't think. Like I, I don't know. Is there? Is, there seems to be an impression that as we as we develop into sort of a more entrepreneurial society, people want to be the ones who think up the ideas. They want to be the ones who create the concepts. And uh, and I've always been wondering if we're actually going to get ourselves in a position where there aren't enough people actually to do the legwork to make that happen.
2: Yeah, it's a very good point. And, and I don't want to generalize too much with age. But if we look at the, the tech scene, it is younger. Um, it is people in their 20s and 30s. And obviously, making money is very important. But I think for them, it's, it's meaning and purpose and creating something meaningful plays a huge part in it. And uh, they don't just want to be an employee, you know, they want to be a part of something greater.
0: So the idea of this kind of like flat management system too where where everybody is is integrally involved in a in a project and the project manager is just another person who's is that is that yeah. is that happening in the tech world? Yeah, then? we're
2: seeing all sorts of new management and leadership styles. Um, you know, like whether it's um, you know, there's no more cubicles like that that that's gone. It's now open collaborative I can't flows. see that anybody is really <laughs> going to mind the chicken pens going out the window. Right. I
0: don't think that's going to be a big problem.
2: Oh, and I, even the big firms, are like Deloitte and, uh, and other ones, they're, they're ditching the cubicles and the offices and moving into that open environment.
1: You know, I don't know if that works. I, I actually worked in one of those open environments one time, and it was like it was almost like too distracting, right? You're kind, you kind of can, working in one of those open you can, environments now. It you? became very social, <laughs> It became very... Well, that, this was a computer is, company, though. This was one of these tech companies you're talking about, man. Oh, so and, you mean uh, we
0: wouldn't get enough done if we were actually a tech company, then, as opposed to just a broadcaster? Well, bes- or, uh, but but here's bes- what <laughs> I wonder,
1: because our education system, too, right? It, it, it's, it's moved towards uh, group work, a lot of group work, right? And, uh, and then, so there's the... the um, I guess a bit of an argument between whether... Because I find often, like, can a group be creative, um, versus, because it seems to me a lot of businesses, or even if somebody comes up with a great idea for a software application, um, you know, it's it's almost a singular vi- vision. Do you think you need that singular vision to really come up with something, or can a group? I guess that's collaborate what your company,
0: company kind of something? does, though, you 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 actually are are f- having people come to you with singular visions, and then you're implementing.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I think often the case is there, there's one person with a vision. Um, But um, in order for a product and a company to succeed, it has to be supported with a great team. And so one of the first things that uh, an entrepreneur will do is uh, start to build out their team, who's going to be their chief financial officer, marketing, uh, sales, uh, development, their technology officer. So right away, um, someone is is steering the ship, um, Mm -hmm. but they implement and put in a great team. And, And investors really value that team. They don't want one person running the whole show. They want to see if this person has a clear vision, but at the end of the day, they've got a great supporting team to, to do all the legwork.
1: Yeah, it's like a baseball team. You want to have, all, you want to have greatness in all the positions. Exactly. Right? And you want
0: to make sure your manager doesn't get thrown out of every game. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's like yeah. most the game. <laughs> so,
1: okay, Ben, so um, well, tell us the vision of your company. Uh, Leverage IT.
2: Yeah, sure. So, leverage IT is a development shop. So, what we do is we build websites, e-commerce sites, um, mobile apps. Uh, But uh, what I think is the differentiating factor is um, we're not just building out a technology. We really try to build out a company. So, a um, uh, someone could come in with an idea on on a napkin uh, to build a great app, and um, even if they have no technical background, we can take them from the very beginning, you know, hopefully to the very end. So, we'll build out the technology. Um, we'll work with them on their business model and a go-to-market strategy. And then when the time's right, uh, help them access the early stage uh, private markets for funding.
0: So the um, private money has to come in obviously after you've gotten to a certain stage of development.
2: Yeah, so the entrepreneur is responsible um, f- for you know, raising enough cash initially to get what's called an MVP, a minimum viable product. Um, now that doesn't have all the bells and whistles. It doesn't have every feature, but it's a workable product. It's something that users can test out and and they really understand the product.
1: So you can Uh, take that to investors, say, or anyone really, any kind of potential stakeholder, and they get to feel what the product is and get a sense of, oh yeah, this is going to work. This is going to find a market.
2: Exactly. Investors want to see that you've uh, tested the market, you've validated your idea. there's like a a period called beta testing where you have a small group of people come in uh, on both sides if it's um, both types of users if there's two types of users uh, they she use it the like
0: uh, millennials and everybody else or <laughs> yeah yeah
2: it's you know it, it's a good point i think you're when you do a beta test you got to have people of all of, of all walks of life that are using the app and giving you feedback that's going to enrich your product and once there's some traction um, and some good momentum, that's the right time to take it to the private markets.
1: Now, um, do you have any uh, success stories you want to just sort of
2: Yeah, I paint a picture <laughs> of for us? Absolutely, um, so we're building, uh, it's hard to pick favorites uh, with a lot of the companies that we're building out, so I, I hope no one's offended, but I, I will start with a great company called Curb and Go. Um, the concept behind the company is that it can turn any restaurant into a drive-through. Mm-hmm. Now, People love drive-throughs. They love the convenience. They love the privacy of it. Um, They
0: love not having to get out of the car and wait. Exactly. You know,
2: sometimes you just want to order your food and not be judged, and and (laughs) you know, like you want that privacy. (laughs) And that's why drive thrus are so successful. But the problem is, they take up a lot of real estate, and they're very capital intensive. So, uh, Curb and Go is an app where you can order food through the app through your favorite restaurant. Um, you can say, you know, I want to pick it up at 5.15 on my way home from work. Um, and then there's a geo-fence around, around the restaurant. So as soon as, as soon as you enter within 100 meters, the restaurant's notified, up, oh, Ben, uh, Black SUV, Northeast Corner, and they bring the food right up to your car for you. So. And That's... no one has
0: to order if you. No one has to know if you've ordered two family meals. Exactly. Yes. There
2: is no shame. It is. It's order... funny. I
0: never thought of I never thought of drive-throughs as being a as, as being a, a workaround for shame. But now I'm going to be very conscious of that the next time I have a card.
2: Uh, is it just me or like when you're at a hotel and you order room service? Um, I'll be like, "Oh, uh, John, do you also want a, a burger and fries? Oh, okay, let's make that two burger and fries." Because <laughs> uh, <you> know, it's <laughs> embarrassing that. I always found drive-thrus to be embarrassing for me. Like, uh, really? You know, like, I'm ordering a lot of food. I was uh, a larger guy growing up, and um, I didn't want people judging me, so that's why oh, I like the drive-thru.
1: That's it's hard to believe, man. Yeah. But then you just sure. order a Diet Coke at the end of it, right? Right, exactly. That's what, yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah. used to do, yeah. No, it's... So that sounds like one great product. So what was that, uh, this uh, visionary came to you with this idea? Was that and one on a napkin?
0: Yes,
2: it also about. came on a napkin. It's apropos because it's a food That's, I was thinking yeah, that
0: very, yeah. very topical.
2: Um, and uh, this was an entrepreneur who uh, started a successful ski tour company, real hustler. And, you know, it went, when I'm deciding which companies to work with, I really just have to make one decision. And I look the person in the eye. And I just think to myself, can this person deliver? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with him, it was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he took the reins, and uh, the app's going to be launched in the next couple months.
0: There's something to be said, though, when you have an idea that you actually invest in it yourself. And I think that that's one thing that uh, that a lot of people who have ideas don't realize that you actually need to do either the, the you definitely need to invest your time, but you also need to invest your money. And I, I guess you came out of the film business, right? Yeah. So, and that's always something that uh, that's true of the arts, especially that you need to put a little bit aside to invest in your dream.
2: Right. There's an adage in the film business: um, you self finance your first film, and then you never do it again. Right. Yeah. Mm. So uh, you got to do it once to get it going. It's just impossible in the film industry as a first-time uh, filmmaker to get any tax credits or funding. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to do it yourself. you got to be an entrepreneur and take a chance. And then hopefully the success of that first film you can translate into... Future successes. So,
0: is coming to you for a company sort of like the same concept as making a, a so-called calling card film for uh, in in the cinema? Because usually, that's usually what your what your self financed film is. It's your it's your calling card. So you take it around that's people true. afterwards. Like yeah. Rocky. Exactly. Exactly.
2: <laughs> so it is true because you know with a lot of startups there isn't this idea that you know I'm going to run this company for the rest of my life, um, and one of the reasons is because once you get private investment. They want their money back. So at the end of the day, they really want this company to be sold, whether it's um, an IP, uh, initial public offering, an IPO, or whether it's an acquisition. So um, they'd
0: be happier to see you get sold to a hundred percent. They like, don't want
2: to see you, yeah. you know, ride it out for your whole life. They want to get their capital back. So definitely, first-time entrepreneurs, as soon as they get what's called an exit, absolutely, they're right back doing the next company. And
0: uh, do they find it easier the next time?
2: It is so much easier. I mean. I just heard um, a great speaker yesterday saying that uh, the data doesn't actually support that second-time entrepreneurs are more successful than first, but um, I think personally, if someone's done it before, yeah. I'm much more willing to work with them the second time.
0: It almost seems like we're in early days for that kind of concept, though. This is the same way that we're in sort of still in early days of people not keeping the same career. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Um, and I think the stats are that people switch careers three or four times now in a lifetime, but that's... That's new. That's that. People my age are doing that. But people older than me, often kept the same job.
2: Right. Definitely. And I think it's not even just one job. It's really multiple jobs. Um, The term moonlighting. You know, Mm -hmm. you're uh, you're a banker during the day and you're, uh, Ubering at night. Right. right? Like you're you're really juggling a couple different jobs. Or you're writing the
0: next great Canadian novel. Right. Okay. Good good example.
1: (laughs) That no one will ever read. Which no one will ever read. But at
0: least you're writing it, because that's an important part. It's not the books,
1: are, books aren't for reading anymore. They're for writing. You know what I'm saying?
2: You know, I think my kids, I might hand them a book, and they'll say, what is this? You know?
1: Yeah, where's the Where's the on button? Oh, yeah. And, the, and then when it comes to tech, it's, it's
0: when I pick up a book, and I'm spending so much time reading online that I'm actually tapping the page of the book trying to figure out what's going wrong. It's like, yeah. do I have to reboot this thing? What's going on here?
1: Now Ben, okay, so here you are. You're in a position, and you're helping uh, visionary entrepreneurs to get their uh, applications and their tech projects off the ground. But how about you yourself? Do you, did you, uh, you're from the film industry, so like, do you have any kind of pet projects yourself that you're working on?
2: Yeah, sure. So you've got um, the
0: 3D technology that's going to blow James Cameron's right out of the water. Yes.
2: Yes. Really? Um, wow. You. I had a very nothing. unfortunate exit from the film industry. Um, <laughs>
0: Okay, now we got to hear this is that story. A show? Yeah, it's sad.
2: It's not. It's not a fun story. But um, so I was. I was the last time I was on the show. I was talking about a documentary called uh, Shashdiel, which is Yiddish for "be quiet," and it's about some of the problems in Canada's Jewish community with some of our institutions. And I had a great executive producer, unbelievable visionary. She, I was at the end of the day. I would only in the future just keep working with her. Like I wouldn't even do another job. Ever again, like that was my plan. I only wanted to work with this producer, so unbelievable! So, I completed the first uh rough draft and I sent her an email. She lived in Hamilton. I said, I'm gonna drive up to Hamilton and I'll show you the so we can watch the first draft and and talk about it. And um, the next day, she tragically just passed away you know, a a healthy woman, she was in her maybe her late 60s, and uh, I was so devastated. Like, the whole film, I mean. I really needed her on the film. Like she was just that type of unbelievable person. And I still finished the film. It definitely wasn't the same product that, that it should have been. But um, I guess just that uh, that situation took the took the wind out of it for me. And yeah, it's like I, I lost the passion to, mm. to be behind the camera. I guess it was just taxing for me. Um, but I'd love, you know, in five or 10 years to get back into it and especially as a producer and work with young filmmakers and look at all the mistakes I made as a filmmaker and, and try to help them, try to help get great, um, especially documentary films produced. Hmm.
0: That kind of thing can, uh, can really derail you. I've had, a, I've had a couple of those in my life where, it was, where it was, everything was perfect and it really seemed like I was going in the right direction and then something that just comes out of left field and also that affects you so much emotionally. Um, how did you end up uh, moving towards tech? Had you already been interested in that or had you already played with it? Or
2: Yeah. So, um, as a user of technology um, and just just seeing the impact that it's having on our lives um, when I was going through a, a career change and figuring out what I wanted to do, uh, yeah, I decided I wanted to move in that direction. I invested in a, a video game company earlier and um, one of the um, directors of the company, that's why I ended up partnering with, with this company.
0: That's great. Was that, that uh, just in terms of the kind of companies that you're supporting the growth of now, was that game company something that was developing one product and then moving on to something else, or was it...
2: Yeah, so that is the literal example of the napkin. I actually think that in this company they had the napkin. That's what I was wondering (laughs) about, yeah. (laughs) That's maybe where it came from. Uh, The napkin said, uh, social network for video uh, video gamers on it, or... Um, So that was, I think, one of the the genesis for the company for Leverage was building out this company called Enthusiast Gaming, uh, which is incredibly successful as a social network for gamers and an ad network. And um, my experience just being an investor on that side, and normally, I mean, tech investing is extremely risky. There's a 90% chance you're probably going to lose your money. So uh, to take a shot in the dark on a tech company like that and then sort of end up almost sort of working for them or working with them um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's been a great ride. That's great. I, mean, I haven't lost my money yet. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, just just one more question before we uh, that I have because it just seems one of the things that seems to be happening is that there is so much innovation, uh, so many new products, applications, uh, great ideas coming out. Right. It's almost like uh, it's too much. The level of complexity, the the uh, the range of options that we have every day to take new technologies into our lives is almost uh, overwhelming. Sometimes, you know, um, um, and I'm just wondering, it's it's almost like uh, if we had, if there was a, a common, in, call it a tech environment that we had, like every you know, people understand email, they understand uh, websites and whatever, right? But now it's almost like there's so many applications that it's almost too much for a person to digest.
2: Yeah, um, it, it's definitely not easy. I think that um, people are only getting right now to understand the, shared, uh, the sharing economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people five years ago would have thought it's... So strange, and they would never get into a car of a stranger to take them somewhere <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they would say it 's so foreign and and so strange to stay in some random person 's home mm-hmm. um, and Now you know it 's pretty mainstream it 's pretty social accept- socially acceptable, and that sharing economy you can now uh, rent your car out when you 're not using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I bet in a year from now, my closet i 'm going to be renting out <laughs> you know when i 'm not using it if i 'm not wearing a pair of shoes, the sharing economy is just so endless and it is scary and it is overwhelming and I think um, that's definitely, it's a, it's a valid point.
1: Where does this it, word come from, sharing economy? I've not really heard that before. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: basically it's using resources on a mass scale uh, to create efficiencies. Yeah. So um, something in and of itself is very inefficient, like, like delivery being an example. You know, to, to go from the restaurant to someone's house and then back to the restaurant again and back to someone else's house it's very inefficient, but if there's a lot of people out on the road, they can do different deliveries at the same time and sort of share to create sort of, you know, a better and stronger economy.
0: It, it says something nice about the social environment, though, that we're creating in the world, though. It says that people are more accepting of each other and, and also that they recognize that people are, different, are good at different things and not everybody just gets to be a cog in, a, in somebody else's wheel.
2: So I'm glad you brought that up because and, – and I can't remember the app, but there's, there's programs now, social – part of the sharing economy, let's say, with restaurants that have excess food or stores that have products that might spoil. Mm-hmm. It's using that sharing economy to be able to collectively take that and, and bring it to food banks and shelters and oh, have yeah. you know sort of secondary purposes. So while the sharing economy – the spotlight is on the private enterprises, the social enterprises as well are utilizing that same technology for tremendous good.
0: See, and that's I think where the whole concept of socialism fell apart, is that you can't do that from the top, you have to do that from a million different hubs. And that's probably something that the internet has taught us.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting, the word social is part of socialism, right? It's that that collective idea uh, of people getting together. Um, And and these efficiencies are just going to sort of revolutionize our lives. Do
1: you have any comments on the whole blockchain
2: <laughs> thing? Um, not so much. Uh, it's not really my area of expertise per se, but um, I, I think for 2017, it's going to be the type of technology that's going to constantly make headlines, yeah.
1: And um, just, uh, you know, we got Donald Trump in the White House now, and he's trying to make Hugh's him... was a big fan. That's not necessarily <laughs> true. I could speak f- for myself... <laughs> Um, But what I want to say, wait a second, I'm trying to ask you a question here, Jen. Uh, He's trying to make America great again. And he's um, talking about uh, uh, putting up those tariff barriers, bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. He's also talking about the cyber. The what? Talk
0: about the cyber. Yeah. Cyber is very (laughs) complicated. relax, Jen. Nobody knows about the cyber more than I do. Jen, relax.
1: (laughs) But... uh, other people say uh, that we really need to have the global the global economy, and it's you know more efficient for everybody to have stuff made in China and Mexico. And uh, we've lost a lot of manufacturing jobs here in Canada, but as you're saying, we have a very strong tech sector and a lot of skills in that area. Like, are you optimistic about the economy, especially for young people going forward? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I think that, again, the traditional, the traditional jobs uh, and manufacturing is a great, uh, great example. I think those jobs are gone and I, I don't think they're coming back. And I think for young people, they have to recognize um, where the job, job growth is. And, and that's in technology and automation is that, um, you know, a, a BA just doesn't cut it anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people got to look at trades and, and technology in particular to, to get in there.
1: Okay. Yeah. And then so who are you looking to, to speak to of the people watching this right now? Like who who do you want to talk to?
2: Yeah, so uh I'm really looking for great entrepreneurs and great CEOs, people with bold ideas, visionaries who who want to build out great companies and um that's who I try to meet and um, so if you're out there listening and you've got the next awesome idea for, for a mobile app or some Uber competitor then you know Let's talk.
1: All right. And what's the best way for people to get in touch?
2: Ben? Yeah, so um, the website's leverage.it, and uh, I can be reached at ben.leverage.it. At
1: Fantastic. Is there anything else you want
2: to say that we didn't touch upon? Maybe? Um, I just want to say thank you for having me on the show again. It's great to be back, and um, I hope it's not going to be another five years till I'm back again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Hugh,
1: what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we'd love to uh, promote uh, all your... Uh, your, uh, viable entrepreneurs that you're working with so we can get them down here, talk about yeah. their technologies and uh, you know, that. which I think because that's, to, you know, one of the things I think is really important is that all these new apps technologies, people need to learn how to use them and they need to learn how to integrate them into their life, their overall lifestyle right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think too, one of the problems is that uh, a lot of technologies are out there, and people aren't really using them to their full extent. Like right. my phone, for example, I'm probably using five percent of its functionality. But right. if
0: everybody who has a phone uses a different five percent, it's worth having all that packed into it. I'll and that's, I guess, part of the sharing economy too.
2: Yeah, but that's a good point. You know, we're not utilizing our manpower. We're not utilizing, you know, what's what's out there. And uh, shame on the phone company or the the, the hardware and software companies because they obviously weren't able to convince you um, <laughs> about the great options you have with the phone. I know. So, yeah.
1: Okay. All right, Ben. Thanks for
2: <laughs> coming down today. My pleasure. Thanks so much. All right.
1: Okay, we're going to take a little break here on Liquid Lunch. we got some great stuff coming up. Maddie Kasem is in the house. and, sh- and the- I'm not going to surprise. You know what I'm saying? We'll be right back. <laughs>